It's good to see you all this morning. It's good to be back. Yeah. It was 70 and sunny when I left Boise. So it's been that way all fall. So Josh and I are going to do a little duet for you now. <laughs> we did not plan the coordination of our outfits. This is ridiculous. This song is called We'll Never See You Again. So October is the month we always focus on missions. I think that this song is so appropriate um, because that's really the, the prayer of our church that God would use us as, as an instrument where um, people come to know Christ throughout all the world and that his name would be praised. Um, about nine months ago, um, for those of you who maybe are new or don't know, Josh um, and his wife Carly, Josh was our youth pastor for several years and we sent them out about nine months ago to Boise. Important is not Boise, it's Boise. We were educated last night um, to help with a church there called Trademark. And so Josh and I wanted to do a totally spontaneous and unscripted interview to bring you up to date on how things are going out there. Um, so as I said, you know, that's, in case you don't know where Idaho is. It's not Iowa. That gets confused all the time. So you guys have been out here for about nine months. Um, tell us just how you guys are doing and what it's been like acclimating to a new, a new city. Yeah, um, <clears throat> overall we're doing really well. Um, within the first month we saw God provide uh, a job for Carly. She's working uh, to with a wedding planner, wedding vendor. She's loving that, um, which has gotten her really connected in the community as well. Boise, uh, it's a small town, so it's pretty easy to get connected. There's like 225,000 people, so not a lot. Um, but we've been able to get connected really well. The church received us with open arms, so we, we were able to get really involved and plugged into the community. Started preaching at the church pretty quickly as well. Um, and, and they let you stay? They did. They let me stay. Okay. I know, Good. right? One sermon, and they were like, oh, maybe. You know. All right. Um, so yeah, we, we were able to get connected really well. Um, our family is growing, which is actually a millennial way of saying we got another dog. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we have two dogs now. Um, and yeah, things, things are going well in that way. I, so I did plan that. I'm sorry. I planned that. What's that? So pray for your fear of commitment. Pray for our fear of commitment. Sure. Um, so you've been there for nine months. Um, tell us about how things have progressed over those nine months and what you're currently doing at Trademark. Yeah. So when we, when we moved out to Boise, the, the plan was we were going to partner with this church, Trademark Church. They're part of the Acts 29 network, which I know you heard about a few weeks ago. Um, it's a church planting network. And so the way that they train up church planters is through residency programs. So I would be trained to learn how to do church planting from the pastor there uh, for about a year. And then at the end of that residency, we would decide, hey, are you equipped well enough to go forward with church planting? Um, do you want to put the brakes on that right now? And so we would figure that out. Um, so when we got out there, about the first three months, that was what we were doing. Things were going well. Um, and then in April, the pastor basically came to me and he said, look, um, I need your help pastoring this church. Um, I'm not in a place of health where I can do this by myself. Um, and so I'm going to need some help doing that. And so I started preaching a little bit more, helping make decisions um, for the church and just helping, yeah, pastor, counsel people. And then that's while we're doing the residency and while I'm also working another part-time job. So weeks got really busy, crowded. And then in the summer, um, you know, he again kind of came to me and said, look, I need to step out from this role as a pastor and we need someone to step into that and we think it should be you. And I was like, wow, okay. We were, you know, we came here to try and plant a church, but 
This might be what God's leading us to now. So Carly and I said, yeah, let's, let's pursue that. Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Um, and then in August, I was brought on officially as an elder. And then the group of elders that I'm serving with asked if I would serve as a lead pastor moving forward. And Carly and I said, yes. Um, so where does church planting come into that? Um, our church is currently in a place that it is, it has, and I'll share more about this um, in the 20 minutes after the service, but to give you a snapshot, it's in a rough place. Um, it's not in a place of health. It's not in a place of financial stability. Um, it needs a mission clarified. We need to find a new building to meet in because we're being asked to leave our building. Um, so we're essentially stepping into a replant revitalization um, effort now where we're leading the church, but it needs everything from the ground up to be redone, um, rethought out, uh, replanned, recommitted to Jesus. And so we're, we're going to do that. So how about, you said it's in a, a replan or revitalize sort of scenario. So help us understand, why is that important? I mean, here, like, we have, you know, there's another church on any block. Why not, if, if it's that bad off, why not just let it die off and everybody disperse and go to other churches? Yeah, great, great question. Um, that would be a great option if there were a lot of churches. Um, so Boise's in a place where there's about 6% of the population is evangelical. Um, and there's a high population of Mormons, about every one in four, one in five people you meet is Mormon. Um, so there's a heavy Mormon presence, um, but there's not the presence of many gospel preaching, missional, community-oriented type churches. And so um, we believe, like, we just really believe God's laid it on our heart to replant this church because the people are motivated. They understand the gospel, they understand the mission, um, but they need to be shepherded and led toward that in a very concrete way. Um, so some of the other churches in the city have heard about our situation and they wanna partner with us as well to kind of help us get moving on this. Um, and so we're gonna be relaunching everything in January as a church, so. Um, so we've obviously been in contact a lot since you guys moved out mm -hmm. there. And one of the things that always, this is not one of your questions, by the way, this is your curveball. Um, but one of the things that always strikes me is uh, about Boise is um, the refugee community there. Mm -hmm. And so talk to us about why Boise is a really strategic city for global yeah. missions, not just missions in Boise. Yeah, when you think of Idaho, you do not think global. <laughs> um, you do, when you think of think Boise. potato. Yeah, you think of potatoes, right, and mountains. Um, but uh, Idaho has actually been successfully resettling refugees since the 1970s. Um, many of them are Arabic speakers, and Boise is a very welcoming, very friendly town. Uh, they pride themselves on being very kind. You'll, it's, you'll see bumper stickers on people's cars that say, be nice, you're in Boise. Um, or <laughs> They're not just nice, but Boise nice. Like that's, that's the way people phrase it. So the town is a very welcoming town. And because of that, refugees have been resettling in the area for a long time. In fact, there's more Syrian refugees in Boise than in New York City and LA combined. So we have a, an enormous um, refugee population. And there's a young man at our church who, long story short, he was, grew up as a Muslim. Uh, in a series of dreams, Jesus came to him and um, preached the gospel to him. And he got saved through the series of dreams, was baptized in our church. And he um, speaks Arabic, and he has been slowly um, pastoring the refugee community. Some of them are Christians uh, who have fled and come here. Others are Muslims who he's ministering to. And so in the new year, we're going to be mobilizing our church to partner with him and equip him to help minister to refugees in our area. So I think we have time for about two more questions. Um, the first one is, you've mentioned Acts 29 a few times, and probably not everyone's familiar with Acts 29, so give us a... 
quick overview. Who is Acts 29? What do they do? How have they helped you guys over the last few months? Yeah, so Acts 29 is a church planting network. Uh, they're a church planting network who desires to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. Um, and it's not a denomination, but it's a network of like-minded churches who all want to partner in the mission of planting churches. So they help and support each other. Uh, part of our tithes and offerings each week goes to support church planting through the network. And so um, Idaho is very isolated as a state, and um, Boise is very isolated as a city. And so the Acts 29 network has been influential in helping us. We have another Acts 29 church in northern Idaho and then another one in southeast Idaho. So we're all really spread out. But those pastors have been coaching me uh, week after week. I have coaching calls with them. Uh, they have been able to help support us financially in the past as well. Um, and it's, it's just a really strong brotherhood of churches um, and pastors who desire to see um, churches like ours who are really struggling right now get replanted so that we can become a planting sending church in our area. Great. Um, so for all of you, so, so that you know, moving forward, some of the ways that we're um, supporting um, the work of the Hibbards, there were three specific requests Josh had for us um, when, uh, maybe, maybe a month ago, um, when a lot of this transition stuff was happening. And so one of them was just prayer. Um, and like really intentional, meaningful praying for them and for the mission of God in Boise and around the world. Um, secondly, one of the things they asked for is, can we just have access to the elders at Trinity? Um, you know, ongoing access to, to, to us. Um, they're, a, they're a young church and, and just wanted access to us to bounce ideas. And, and, and by young, like the, the average age of a person at our church is 30 years old. Yeah. The oldest person in our church is 61, and then it drops down into the 40s after that. So uh, yeah. we're a very young church, yeah. Um, and then the third very specific need they had was they, they asked if, um, if, if they could have Betsy for like one to four hours per month and if we could you know, pay Betsy one to four hours per month to help do things related to communication design, that kind of thing. And so we've, we've agreed to do that. Um, so those are some things that just collectively as a church we're doing, but tell us some more ways um, briefly as we're closing, how can, how can Trinity be supporting you and Carly and Trademark? Yeah, um, I mean, you mentioned prayer already, but um, I think one of the things that I have missed about being at Trinity is this church's commitment to prayer. Um, it's, it's something that you don't realize until you leave, until you step out and you realize, wow, Trinity is a church of prayer. These people pray continually, regularly, and then you step into a different context and you realize wow, this church needs to start praying like Trinity prayed. And so when I, when I say that, I truly mean it. Like God is at work through our prayers. Um, if, if, you know, the Lord is building the house and if, and if he's not building the house, then the laborers are laboring in vain. And so we just, we need you to partner with us in prayer. And so I'm gonna be regularly sending prayer updates. Um, the other situation that we're in right now, our church is in a very, very challenging financial situation. Um, dire, almost. You know, we're living on a, uh, as a church on a month-by-month -month basis, um, having to move some of our bills around from one week to the next to be able to pay them. Um, so uh, as we're stepping into 2019, it's, um, we're gonna, Carly and I are going to be raising support again to essentially serve as missionaries in Boise to this church to take some of the financial burden off of trademark so that we can... Um, begin to grow and flourish as a church uh, that way. So if you're interested in partnering with us again, we, yes, I am back here, as we said last night, begging for money. No. Um, we, uh, At least you're no. honest about it. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but we, we're going to be raising support again, uh, so that will be partially my salary that we're going to be raising. Um, 
We set a goal last year to raise $2,000 a month, and God provided that for us. It's not a lot of money, but um, he did provide that for us, and so we're setting a goal to raise $2,500 a month this year um, as we're uh, moving into the new year for my salary. Um, and I'm also going to continue to work part-time, which is you know, a challenge, working 40 to 45 hours a week at the church, and then an additional 10 um, outside that too. But um, we've seen God provide faithfully for us, and so we're trusting he'll do that again. So if you are interested in partnering with us, we'll have more information about that. Um, in the coming weeks as well. Um, so Josh referenced this already, but at the end of this service, we're gonna have about a 20 minute um, time with Josh for Josh to give more details about what they're doing. Betsy informed me that there will be gluten-free donuts available. So for those of you who are gluten intolerant, that, and regular, it won't be all gluten-free, so please still come, because there will be regular. <laughs> um, but she also informed me that gluten-free donuts are actually really good. And so if you want to test that theory, because I don't believe it, but if you want to test that theory, come and test the theory and also learn more about um, what's going on in Boise and, and how we as Trinity can be praying for them, supporting them, et cetera. Yeah, that'll be about 20 minutes. I'll just share a little bit more of the details about what's gone on and how you can partner with us. So if you can stick around, that'd be awesome. Cool. Thanks. Our scripture this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 16 through 33 in the pew Bibles under your seat. It's on page 815. So Matthew, chapter 10, verses 16 through 33, page 815. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour." For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those in his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. Good morning. I'm Everett Metters. I'm one of the elders here at Trinity Community Church. We're very glad to have you with us today. We're thrilled to have Josh with us today. So join me as I pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the way and the timing with which you called Josh and Carly out to Boise. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the support that Josh has been able to be to that church, for the gifts that you've given him and for the ways that you're moving in Trademark Church and in the city of Boise. Father, I pray that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit Lord, that you would enable us to hear your word and to obey and respond to your word in faith and obedience. Father, I pray that you would order my thoughts and my words, and that I would be able to speak your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So behind me, should become a picture of a young woman named Leah Sharibu. On February 14th of this year, she was one of 112 girls that were kidnapped from a school in Dapche, Nigeria, which is in the northwest part of the country, where they've been fighting an insurgency from a group called Boko Haram for about 16 years now. And it's one of the most violent anti-Christian insurgencies in the world. Uh, by many estimates, Boko Haram has killed many more people than ISIS or Al-Qaeda over that same time period. So militants broke into her school and kidnapped 112 girls as they were preparing for their finals for the, uh, for the, for the winter term and took them out into the bush where Six of them have died under unknown circumstances, and all but one have been released. And that one that remains is Leah Sharibu. And when the other girls were being released by the terrorists, the girls, her friends, said to Leah, tell them you're a Muslim. Put on your headscarf and sit with us and tell them you're a Muslim. And she said, I'm a Christian. How can I tell them I'm a Muslim? Why would I do that? And so she remained faithful to her testimony to Jesus. On September 18th, one of the leaders of, of Boko Haram said in a video that in 30 days she would be killed if she didn't convert to Islam. On October 8th, uh, 18th, they released a new video, and that's a picture from that video, where she pled for help from the government 
but said that she was going to remain a Christian. And Boko Haram said, okay, we're not going to kill her. We're going to keep her as a slave. And now they've asked for, three, uh, for a one billion naira, which is Nigerian currency, a one billion naira ransom, which is about $3 million. And her name has gone out through all of Nigeria as a young woman who has stood up for Jesus who has resisted the temptation to convert, who has stood up to her captors. And she was 14 when she was taken in February. She's 15 now. So that is Leah Sharibu. She is our sister. Pray for her, for her deliverance and for faithfulness and mercy. And what has happened to her is completely alien to many of us. But she lives in a context where things like this are happening all the time. In 2014, Boko Haram kidnapped 280 some schoolgirls from the city of Chibok. And at least 100 of them, four and a half years later, are still unaccounted for. They're still prisoners or they're dead. We don't know. In countries all over the world, things like this happen. And Jesus has told us that things like this will happen. And he warns us in the passage this morning. And this is what we want to look at. So our big idea today is do not be afraid of resistance to the gospel because you know Resistance is coming because your father cares for you and because you will be like Jesus. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because you know resistance is coming. For much of what the disciples have seen and much of what we have heard in Matthew up to this point is amazing victory and triumph. Jesus goes into cities and they bring the sick and they're healed and demons are cast out and people are set free. The blind have their eyes open. Amazing miracles are following Jesus. And he's just told his disciples in the passage we read last week that he's sending them out and that they will do the things that he's been doing. They will heal the sick. They will open the eyes of the blind. They will cast out demons. And it seems that Jesus is bringing this message of triumph, that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, that the time of the Romans and the time of the Herods is over, that the time of darkness is over, that the exile has ended triumph, glory. It's an amazing message. And it is Jesus' message. But even within that, we've seen some things already. Jesus, after he was baptized and the heavens opened and the Father proclaimed, this is my beloved Son whom I loved, he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted and confronted Satan. And when he came back, 
he heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, who was the one that was going before him, the one who was starting the message of the kingdom, that John had been thrown into prison because he was calling Herod to, to holiness. And so Jesus left the area around Jerusalem and went back up to Galilee. And he gathered his disciples after he's been going around and, and proclaiming the kingdom and, and, and seeing all these healings. And he gathers them on a mountain and he starts to teach them. And one of the very first things that he teaches them in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, in the Beatitudes, the end of the Beatitudes, he's been telling them what it is to live a blessed life. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's prepared them, he's told them that there is a persecution coming, that there is resistance, that there is slander, that there is violence. He's called them to remember the reward of the prophets. Jeremiah being thrown into a well, being threatened with death. Isaiah being murdered. The stories again and again of God's prophets who have come proclaiming deliverance and been rejected. So he's told them that. But we, we continue to see this victory. And then he goes to the city of Gadara across the Sea of Galilee and he casts these demons out of these guys in a cemetery into a herd of pigs and the pigs all die and the people come and they're terrified and they ask Jesus to leave. So he's been rejected in that place. And just before this, at the end of chapter nine, where he's going through the villages, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease. Actually, it's right before that, my bad. He casts a demon out of a mute man, chapter nine, verse 33 and 34. And the people are amazed. Nothing like this has been done in Israel. And the Pharisees say it's because of the prince of demons that he casts out demons. So there's this undercurrent, there's persecution. He tells the disciples in this very message, you're gonna get rejected in some towns. If somebody rejects you, just brush your feet off and go on to the next place. But now he tells them in verse 16, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I was thinking about this, and we think about how helpless sheep are. And for some reason, I thought of the three billy goats gruff. You know, where they come across, and finally the big billy goat comes out and knocks off the troll. And I realized that goats are not sheep. But, but you can imagine, like, if you've seen those nature videos of, like, bighorn sheep butting heads in the mountains, you can imagine one of those doing damage to a wolf but not to a pack of wolves. 
and certainly not your random average everyday sheep that you see out and grazing in a field. I mean, if you take one of those sheep and let it go into a herd of wolves, herd, into a pack of wolves, mutton. And that's what Jesus tells his disciples. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, defenseless, innocent, stupid, food. So be wise as serpents, be crafty, camouflage yourselves, don't call attention. Figure out leverage, how you can speak. Figure out ways that you can find an open door to speak. But innocent as doves. And again, like the sheep, doves are not dangerous animals. Maybe the bugs, but otherwise. Harmless. I mean, you can almost just walk up and grab a pigeon on the street guileless. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Watch out for men. Beware. Be on your guard. Because they will deliver you over to courts and they will flog you in the synagogues where you should be safe, where you should be gathered with your brothers and sisters. They will betray you and reject you and flog you. You will be dragged before governors and kings to bear witness. Brothers will betray brothers and deliver them over to be put to death. And parents will deliver over their children. And children will rise up against their parents and put them to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's the warning that Jesus gives these disciples. It's the warning that he gives us. In, in the first letter of Peter, Peter writes to the, the believers scattered in Asia Minor, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that, you, that has come upon you. Paul says to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy, all who live, a God, actually it's in 2 Timothy, all who, live, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. In John chapter 15, starting in verse 18, just a, a year or two after he's sent these disciples out and giving them this message, Jesus says this, on the night before he was murdered, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word... They will also keep yours, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. 
And then at the start of of chapter 16, he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And he finishes that chapter with this word. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have been warned. There is persecution, there is rejection, there is insult, there is slander, there is flogging, there is death that will come to those who seek to follow Jesus. The organization Open Doors, which works with persecuted Christians around the world, describes persecution this way. Persecution is any hostility, and this is specifically Christian persecution. Persecution is any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Christ. It may be that you will not receive a promotion because you refuse to work 80 hours a week so that you can spend time with your family, so that you can come and worship with God's people. It may be that you will lose your job because you said something to somebody about how they need to know Jesus and you were written up as one who has uh, violated the company's diversity policy by discriminating against somebody else because of their religion. It may be that you will lose friends because you trust in Jesus. It may be that family members will hate you because you trust in Jesus. And when that happens, do not be surprised. It may also be that all of those things will happen to you because you follow Jesus, but also because you're a jerk. So don't be a jerk. (laughs) Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Peter, again, in in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, he he tells his audience, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If you are to be persecuted, and and Nick Ripkin writes really well about this in his book, The, The Insanity of Obedience. If you're going to be persecuted, be persecuted because of the gospel. Be persecuted because of Jesus. Not because you're a jerk, not because you're a fool. Be wise in your interactions. But when you're rejected, do not be surprised and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid not only because you know it's coming, 
Do not be afraid because your father cares for you. God is your judge. He is the one to whom you have to give an account. In verse uh, 26, he says, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Your persecutor can deny you a job. He can unfriend you on Facebook. She can kill you. She can beat your children. They cannot kill your soul. God will vindicate his people. He will stand up for his own. And he knows everything. The things that are hidden, the things that are done undercover where you don't even know what somebody's done against you. You just know something's been done. God knows those things. God knows the fate of Raymond Coe, who was stolen out of his car, forced out of his car on the street in Malaysia and into a van in February of 2017 and has not been heard from since. And his family knows nothing about what's happened to him. He was a pastor serving among AIDS victims in Malaysia, kidnapped off the street. God knows the fate of Ken Elliott, who's a surgeon from Australia. In 2016, he and his wife were kidnapped from Jibo in Burkina Faso, where they have been serving the poor as missionaries in a hospital for 40 years. She was released a month later. The last that was seen of him was a video in July of 2017. He's 84 years old now. His family doesn't know what's happened to him. God knows. The Father knows and the Father cares. Even when you were attacked, your Father knows and He cares and He may not deliver you from the pain of that situation. Leah Sharibu may never be rescued from Boko Haram. There may never be any ransom paid to bring her out of their clutches. She may be killed in a bombing when the army attacks the base. We don't know. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And even if they kill the body, they cannot kill the soul. Do not be afraid because your father cares for you. Do not be afraid because you will be like Jesus. The disciple is not above his master. The servant is not above his owner. But it is enough 
for the disciple to be like his teacher. And what was our teacher like? Who is the one that we have made ourselves disciples to? He is the one who conquered death. He is the one who was beaten, who was rejected, who was slandered, who was dragged before governors and kings, who was betrayed by one of his closest friends, who was murdered on a cross, who was buried in somebody else's tomb, and who was raised, and who has the name that is above every name, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is enough for us to be like him. In his commentary on this passage, John Calvin wrote this. By his own example, he now exhorts them to perseverance. And indeed, this consolation is enough to banish all sadness if we consider that our lot should be with the Son of God. Nothing can therefore be be more unreasonable than to wish to be accounted believers and yet to murmur against God when he conforms us to the image of his Son, whom he has placed over all his family. We can be like him. And I love the, the last thing that Calvin says about, that, about, the, about the, that verse. There is more need to meditate on these words than to explain them, for they themselves are sufficiently clear. So meditate on those words. The disciple is not above his teacher and the servant is not above his master, but it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. And then Jesus goes on to say this. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not be afraid because you will be like Jesus. And if you acknowledge him before men, the eternal Son of God will acknowledge you before the judge of all the universe as one of his own, as one of his brothers, as one of his friends. When you were rejected, when you were abused, when you were lied about, when you were snubbed, acknowledge Jesus because it is enough for you to be like him. So how is it that the sheeps go out and defeat the wolves? And I made a whole list of things, but I forgot one very important one at the beginning of my list, and that is to believe the good news. Believe the gospel. One of the things I've been, I've been meditating through Psalm 119 on my drive into work and verses 
49 to 52 have been, have been just flashing in my mind as I've been thinking about this passage. Where it says, remember your, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your promise from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Psalm 119, verses 49 to 52. Believe the good news. Believe that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, that he has announced God's kingdom, that he has promised resurrection to those who follow him, that the one who kills the body cannot kill the soul, but God will raise you up on the last day. Believe the good news. Tell the good news. Do not be afraid to share the gospel. Do not be afraid to tell what Jesus has done in your life. And that's something that I have to repent of. I, I find myself so reluctant to share a Facebook post talking about what God's done in my life because I don't want to deal with the blowback from Facebook friends that aren't Christian. That is stupid. Do not be afraid. Tell the good news. Live like Jesus. In Philippians chapter one, Paul tells them, live your life worthy of the gospel, standing side by side, contending for the faith of the gospel, not terrified in anything by your opponents. This is a sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation. Live godly. Live with purity of heart. Be a peacemaker. Be meek. Be merciful. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And trust in the righteousness that Jesus gives. Live like Jesus. Pray for the persecuted. Pray for Leah Sharibo. Pray for Ken Elliott and Raymond Coe and Asiya Bibi and Yusuf Nadarkani and hundreds and thousands more. Go to voiceofthemartyrs.com or persecution.com. Go to Open Doors. Go to International Christian Concern. Go to Nick Ripken Ministries. Find out the names of the persecuted. Find out how you can pray for them and pray for the persecuted. Come tonight to world prayer at 6.30 upstairs and pray with us for the persecuted. Next Sunday is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Come to the 8.30 prayer meeting and pray. Pray during the week. Lift up your brothers and sisters to God. Pray for the persecutors. Pray for repentance for the leaders of Boko Haram, for the leaders of ISIS, for the leaders of Al-Shabaab, for the leaders of the guerrilla groups in Colombia that kidnap pastors who share the gospel with guerrillas and take them out of that lifestyle. 
Pray for the Chinese police that spy on the churches and when they start acting up, arrest their leaders and beat them and throw them in prison. Pray for Kim Jong-un. Pray for the persecutors. Endure to the end. Hold fast your faith. The one who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus says. When they persecute you, it's okay to run away. Go to the next city. Start sharing the gospel there. When they persecute you there, go to the next city. You will not finish before the Son of Man comes. And that also means that his gospel will have a witness until the very end. Even if you get killed, somebody else will be raised up to go to the next city and the next city. Endure to the end. Do not be afraid. Tell the good news. Repeat. Do not be afraid. Tell the good news. Repeat. Day after day after day after day after day. Until the Son of Man comes or they kill you, or you die of old age, do not be afraid. Tell the good news. Join me as I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive me for my fear. Forgive me for my sloth. Forgive me for my unbelief. Father, forgive each of us and give us strength to endure and give us boldness and wisdom to tell the good news and not be afraid. Lord, lead us through this week. Father, lift up the heads of our brothers and sisters that are in prison. Lift up the head of Leah Sharibo and others, Lord. Give them courage and boldness to endure and trust in your salvation. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.